0: Chapter 2, Bring Back That Loving Feeling This whole thing started the day I knocked over a display of fried pork rings at the liquor store. Donna and I drove into the parking lot of Al's Liquor Store to find three young men sitting on a curb. You'd better come inside with me.
1: I'll be fine right here.
0: I flipped the locks. This should only take a minute. Bells jingled as I pushed open the glass door. Beer advertisements with bikini-clad models covered the simulated wood grain paneling. The place was a shrine to immediate gratification, stuff people buy later in the day, explaining why it was deserted at mid-morning. At the elevated counter, a man popped his head out from behind the case of cheap lighters. "'Hello, boss,' he said. McJaggers' tattoo-covered face glared at me from his black T-shirt. Over a $1,000 was bulging in my pants pocket, and it wasn't for a year's supply of Colt 45. "'I need to wire a payment to my mortgage company.' "'Sure, partner.' One of the youths outside cupped his hands against the window and my heart began to race. Did they give you their account number? He eyed the paperwork in my hands. Handing him the paper, I nearly took out a display of Slim Jims along with the pork rings. My hands were shaking that much. He turned around and pulled out a tiny keyboard sitting atop a rack of magazines offering all things silicone and airbrushed. He hummed a song as he tapped away. I think it was bring back that loving feeling. I was fighting a dreadful thought. Anybody could walk in here and stick a gun to my head and take it all. If that cash didn't wire today, the next letter from my mortgage company would be nailed to our front door. Will you be transferring this amount, bud? He stabbed my letter with his finger. Uh, Yes. His voice boomed. 1,264.11? Yes, yes, my eyes darted about. No problem, partner. We'll be done in a sec. He picked up the phone and spoke into a receiver with a noticeably lower tone. Who was he talking to? A secret partner? I began to sweat. Okay, boss, he said, hanging up. I'll just need the cash. This seemed routine for him, as if I'd purchased a pack of Swisher sweets. With clammy hands, I counted out the cash. He disappeared behind his counter. More sweat. Just putting the money in a safe place, boss. Popping back up, he retrieved my change from the cash register. Yeah, not too often uh, people count back change these days my voice was still shaking kids today boss he said walking back to his terminal they depend on computers for everything here's your receipt holding that slip of paper in my hand brought on a gush of relief i felt relaxed enough to compliment his shirt and we even chatted about the rolling stones for a few minutes until i remembered donna was still in the car outside the youths were talking to a man in the truck probably just trying to find work donna unlocked my door and i climbed into the front seat Check this out, I said, turning on the engine. The guy inside saw the stones at the Swing Auditorium in 64. She didn't respond. In her normally serene eyes, I saw something unsettling. It wasn't the patient look she'd typically get when listening to me drone on about rock and roll. This look had a noticeable and quite measurable lack of joy. Never mind, I said. Let's go home.
1: I don't want to go home.
0: I tapped the brake. Where do you want to go?
1: Just drive. Drive.
0: Raindrops keep falling on my head. Tiny raindrops began to ping against our windshield. Donna noticed a park nestled into an older residential neighborhood, the type where sidewalks buckle from the roots of giant mulberry trees.
1: Let's get some air.
0: We walked silently across damp grass toward a stone arbor. Its roof of ivy and meandering foliage promised shelter from the increasing rain. We took a seat on the heavy wooden bench. The air was fragrant from damp leaves. She eventually broke the silence.
1: Um, Let's sell the house and take the kids to Europe.
0: Now, hearing that was a unique type of shock. A combination of seeing the bicycle you'd hope for under the Christmas tree and finding a brown hairy spider on your pillow. Let's start with the Christmas tree feeling. For me, nothing hits the spot like quitting. The feeling really works for me. The sudden weightlessness like floating on a down comforter while glancing down at the chalk dust of my freshly erased slate falling down upon the heads of those below me. Ah, the warmth and simplicity of giving up. I'd compare it to the womb. Except I don't remember the womb, and if I recall, it doesn't end well. Thus, the spider part of my analysis.
1: For one year. (laughs) Jeffrey, I'm serious. We have no control over our lives. I want to get out from under all of this so we're not beholden to anyone
0: i was on board with the parts about selling and going especially after what i'd just been through our once thriving business had slowed to a crawl and we'd reached the end of the pot in addition we'd both grown disenchanted with suburban family life all those nasty notes from the orthodontist uncomfortable teacher conferences and the messy politics with the kids sports
1: Jeffrey, imagine the five of us spending the weekend at some little cove on the Mediterranean.
0: Yeah, that beats the shit out of setting up soccer goals at 6 a.m. I'd been spending more time with the parents on the team than my kids themselves.
1: How about walking through open-air markets, gathering our dinner?
0: I had to admit I'd rather deal with a cheese vendor than a screaming Little League coach. How long have you been thinking about this?
1: For a long time.
0: She sat forward.
1: Let's do this for the kids. For us.
0: Her lovely eyes beamed with that good old excitement that I hadn't seen in a while. I grabbed her hand and squeezed it. She turned to face me.
1: Is that a yes?
0: Isn't there sangria in Idaho? I really wasn't ready to discuss the details of this nomad plan of hers, let alone agree to it. Yet there she was, still trying to sell me.
1: Don't tell me you wouldn't enjoy sitting in a sidewalk cafe with me, drinking sangria and watching people.
0: In Idaho? The cost of living is much less there. She pretended not to hear that. I'd thought about moving to Idaho when the real estate market flatlined and our appraisal business began slowing down. I considered a lot of options, including getting my resume back out there and finding a job. But after the freedom of running my own small business, the idea of going back to that soul-sucking corporate environment sounded as appealing as checking into a death camp.
1: After a year there, we might decide we like it so much we'll stay. You could get a job over there. Lots of Americans do it. You could cook at an outdoor cafe in Greece. Lead English-speaking tours in Berlin. No more stress.
0: All I heard was, no more stress.
1: We could spend weekends exploring the castles with the kids. Wouldn't it be nice to enjoy your Sunday without worrying about a Monday?
0: Uh, well... Hmm.
1: Jeffrey, during our time in Europe, I could see my life so clearly. I dreamed and set goals. Now life has become so complicated, I can't do any of that.
0: She went on about the kids growing up so fast and how we needed to grab life by the horns and enjoy this precious time with them. I stood up and walked across the arbor and stared at the ever-dampening green lawn. All these obligations had certainly mounted up, and I wanted a change. But to sell everything we owned and move our kids to Europe? It just didn't seem like the best answer. I spun around and faced her. Give me three months. I'll turn things around. She returned a look of skepticism. And that's when I pitched her my big idea. My big, big, big idea. I'd make money as a television cooking show host. The Next Food Network Star Most men partake in normal pastimes, like fly fishing or model railroading. Mine was cooking on television. A few years earlier, I became notably miserable in my job, and Donna suggested I find a hobby. So I strapped on an apron grabbed a skillet, and yelled, Roll! I wasn't a celebrity chef by any means, and never cooked professionally, aside from shit gigs, flipping hamburgers. I didn't need credentials for my show. It was on cable access. Think Wayne's World with a spatula. Donna directed me, and our friends helped with camera and sound. We cranked out a show every month or two, or three. It ran on the local cable channel between screens announcing garage sales and lost pets. After a few months, we had five or six regular viewers. After a year, people started recognizing me at the grocery store. I loved my hobby and dreamed of doing it for a living. People told me I should be on the Food Network, as if it were that simple. Believe me, I would have loved to host my own national television show and make millions of dollars. But the odds of landing that role were about the same as pitching for the Dodgers or singing lead for Van Halen. However, there was a realistic television career path I could take. Public television. It wouldn't pay millions... But I'd settle for thousands. Every city had a PBS station, including ours. Certainly, they would be interested in a local cooking show. If they added my show to their schedule, we could build a much larger audience, maybe enough to attract sponsors. Heck, we could sell a companion cookbook at the end of the show and make a living just on that. I told Donna my plan and insisted it would solve our financial problems. Her enthusiasm was significantly less than mine. I shrugged my shoulders. Okay, I said, launching into plan B. If the show doesn't take off, I'll look for a nine-to-five job. She rolled her eyes. Give me three months, I pleaded. I'll make something happen. Three months? Yes, I insisted. By New Year's Eve. If not, we'll put up the house for sale and go with the Donna Baker plan. What she did next really unnerved me. She smiled. The hangover. The reality of selling everything I owned to spend a year in Europe was settling into my brain like a hangover, waking me in the middle of the night, making my heart beat like a drum, and leading a parade of incessant, nagging thoughts, haunting me with the notion of spending a year wandering around in total confusion as my kids realized their father was a total idiot. It sickened me to think of coming home to nothing and living with my in-laws or in some broken-down single-wide trailer in Mojave while watching remnants of my former life dissolve behind me. I should have been stronger at the park and put my foot down instead of getting caught up in the moment, leading her to believe I was really on board with this wild-assed notion. Clearly, she misinterpreted my reaction, like an auctioneer misreading a subtle cough. Now I've bought something big, and it doesn't look like I can take it back. The entire time, I'd hoped her proposal was simply an escape tactic to get our minds off our current troubles and after a few days it would die down. But no, she got more enthused every day. Guidebooks started popping up around the house and annoying travel shows played constantly on the TV. She wanted to spend lots of time at the bookstore. She even dragged me down there one day. She disappeared. Then I found her sitting on the floor in the travel section, cross-legged and cradling a book just the way I used to find her in college, paging through books about kings and queens. Yes, she was happy, and hopeful again, but it didn't seem right. It made me feel sad, as if she was in love with a new puppy, and my job was to return it to the pound. It killed me to think of snatching it from her clutches, but I knew that little bundle of sweetness she was playing with could ruin us. A Schmuck with a Bag of Chips with a demo tape tucked under one arm, I walked across the campus of the city college where the PBS station was located. I would heard about shows earning all kinds of money from grants and underwriters, and I figured I could be part of that gravy train. The station manager's secretary greeted me with all the warmth of someone who'd learned to tolerate every wannabe public television producer in the region. He's at a meeting, she said. You're welcome to wait for him. She pointed to a row of plastic-molded chairs. I opted to wait outside and found a seat in the fresh air. After poking my head back inside a few dozen times, she finally nodded toward the office door. Go ahead. Behind the desk sat a distinguished-looking man engulfed in a green bar computer report. Mr. Lewis, I asked, knocking on the door jamb. We spoke briefly yesterday. He looked at me as if I were the FedEx guy. I'm Jeff Baker. I produce and host Man in the Kitchen. The perplexed look remained frozen on his face. I wanted to offer my hand to greet him, but my arms were full. I prepared salsa in this demo tape, so I thought I'd bring you the real thing. And these tortilla chips. I spotted a small table near his desk. May I sit these here? He reluctantly nodded. The bag of tortillas crinkled loudly in the silence of the room. He stood up and shook my hand. Will Lewis, he said with a strained grin. I handed him the tape, which he studied from the hands of his outstretched arms. Man... In the kitchen? Yes, a cooking show for guys. Simple recipes. I get them out of the garage and into the kitchen. Got it, he interjected. You know, most viewers of cooking shows are women. Yes, yes, we get a lot of emails from women. They claim our show has encouraged their husbands and boyfriends to cook. Hmm. His tone was not encouraging. He seemed more interested in getting back to his report than discussing my show. The entire ordeal suddenly became too awkward for me. I'll let you get back to your day. "'Nice meeting you, Mr. Lewis,' I waved and walked back toward the door. "'I'll give your tape to my program director,' he said, sitting back down. "'He'll contact you if he's interested.' I couldn't get away from that building quick enough. As I walked back through the campus, I could practically hear my tape being dropped onto a giant pile of other lost dreams. I put on my sunglasses to hide the tears forming in my eyes.